The following is message four of the 2018 Calgary Weekend Blending Conference with Brother Ron Kangas, spoken on August 19th. Message title, Living in the Divine and Mystical Realm by Living in the Mingled Spirit. One particular chapter in the New Testament that reveals to us the highest spirituality. In this chapter, we see portrayed for us someone living in the divine and mystical realm while also living in the physical realm and experiencing and living the highest possible spirituality for a believer in this age. What chapter do you think it is? I'm not asking you to guess. It's one particular chapter. And for me to say this is not simply an opinion. This realization was brought to us through the ministry of the age, through one with a very high level of maturity and experience. The chapter is not in Romans, so cross that off your mental list. It's not in Ephesians. It's not in Philippians. It's not in Colossians. It is 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And in chapter 7, Paul is continuing his response to matters of concern that were brought to him for fellowship. He received a fellowship from certain ones in the church who were faithful to the Lord and to him and presented to him a long list of difficulties and problems. So in chapter 7, he comes to a particular challenging matter and that is to answer questions about marriage. In the context of Paul's emphasis, the Lord is coming soon. And some of you have daughters that are getting beyond what we consider the usual age of marriage. What should we do? So in the first part of the chapter... He speaks to them what God revealed to him. So that part is rather easy. He's one with God. God knows the answer. God makes the answer known to Paul. And he writes it down. But in about the middle of the chapter, he comes to a particular matter. 
and he has to say, I have no revelation. I have no word from God about this. But he indicated I'm responsible for you and to you to say something. So this is what I'm going to do. Since I don't have a revelation from the Lord. I'll give you, I'll tell you what I think. I'll give you my opinion. So he's sincerely telling us, I don't have a word from the Lord. And so he's very direct. I'll give you my opinion. This is what I, your brother, think about it. Then he presents his opinion. And when he's done, he says, you know what? I think I have the spirit of God. This is an example of the highest spirituality. We may think, oh, the highest spirituality is one can speak like a prophet in the Old Testament. Yea, saith the Lord. I have a word from the Lord. You don't have to be a spiritual person. If God chooses to inspire you, you can speak. If he can cause a donkey to speak, he can cause us humans to speak. So the donkey didn't become spiritual because it spoke on God's behalf. It didn't even become human. It remained a donkey. So why do we say that this portion of 1 Corinthians 7 reveals the highest spirituality? The reason is it's an illustration of Paul's word in 1 Corinthians 6, 17. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Please notice, the verse does not say the human spirit that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. He says the whole person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. So Paul is living this way. He is a person in oneness with the Lord, abiding in the Lord, experiencing an organic union with the Lord. So when the Lord inspires him and gives him revelation, he simply speaks. But when he says, I'll tell you what I think, he speaks in a human way. He gives his opinion, but his thought is God's thought. And his opinion is God's opinion. 
because his mind and the mind of the Lord are one, yet he is conversing in a normal way. Okay, brothers and sisters, this is my view of the matter. I'm not claiming this is directly from the Lord. But he is speaking from the mingled spirit. He is speaking as a person whose inward parts have been saturated by the indwelling spirit mingled with his spirit so that his feelings convey the Lord's feelings. His decisions are the Lord's decisions. His thoughts are the Lord's thoughts and his words are the Lord's words. And we, we shouldn't just lightly quote what he says, I think I have the spirit. This is very endearing. To me, it's more touching than if he said, I'm sure God spoke to me. I find this quite scary when some sister says, God showed me this, God spoke to me. That indicates you don't need the body of Christ. You don't need fellowship. You don't need confirmation. And now you're attributing to God a definitive word. I do believe on that day God is going to vindicate himself of many things that he never said that religious people and sincere believers just said, God told me, God showed me. That is not as spiritual as it sounds. That is a powerful expression of self-confidence. So when Paul says, I think I had the spirit, and as we're reading, if we are in our spirit, we have the sense, Paul, you were surely in the spirit. And just consider this. He says, I will give you my opinion. Contrast this with Peter's situation in Matthew 16. Peter receives the revelation from the Father that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Lord said, you are blessed. The Father revealed this to you, not flesh and blood. Upon this rock I will build my church. Then the Lord goes on to say that soon he will be, the religious leaders will persecute him, kill him, but Peter couldn't listen to the end. Opinionated people can't listen to the end of anything. They're already completing the thought themselves. This is a characteristic of the self in all of us. We're all the same. So he, listen, he just confessed that Jesus is the Son of God. And he takes him aside and rebukes him, saying, no, I disagree. 
This can happen to you. Well, okay. That's an expression of the self. The Lord said to Simon. He spoke to the person. Get behind me, Satan. So Satan was coming forth. Then the Lord explained how it happened. Your mind is not set on the things of God, but on the things of man. And you are in the self. You are living by your soul life. If you want to follow me, you've got to take the cross, deny the self, and lose your soul life. So Peter is expressing his opinion. Strongly. This can't happen. You can't die. He doesn't hear resurrection. The only, as soon as he hears die, that's it. I don't, he doesn't hear the rest. So his mind, with its opinion, is the practical expression of Satan. His opinion manifests a mind with the self and the soul life, one with Satan. Now in 1 Corinthians 7, you have a God-man expressing his opinion, and his opinion is God's thought. What kind of change has taken place inside of him that his thoughts, his opinions, his views are God's. This is why I say, based upon what I learned from Brother Lee's ministry, this chapter displays the highest spirituality because it shows a person living in the mingled spirit, and by living in the mingled spirit, living in the consummated spirit as the divine and mystical realm. So you see in the second half of 1 Corinthians 7 how divinely human it was. He doesn't have a strange accent he doesn't say let me tell you something the lord showed me today this is this how human beings talk to one another that's really weird it just it just i just feel uncomfortable and then when groups of them do this i thought I, let me out of here why can't we just talk to one another and talk to the lord in a genuinely human way. So this is what it looks like when a person is living in the divine and mystical realm by living in the mingled spirit, because by living in the mingled spirit, increasingly more and more of his being becomes one with the Lord. This is a process mentioned, say, in 
Ephesians 4.23, be renewed in the spirit of the mind. This is the mingled spirit spreading from our inner being into our mind to saturate our mind and renew it. And we know from Romans 12, we are transformed by the renewing of the mind. We know from Ephesians 3.17 that as we are being empowered in the inner man, Christ is making his home in our heart. We know from Galatians 4.19 that Christ is being formed in us. And we learn from Philippians 1 where Paul says, to me, to live is Christ. My living here is Christ himself. My desire is that Christ would be magnified, he said, in my body. In my body, whether through life or death. And we don't have any record of how he was put to death. But I surely believe those who were killing him and those who were observing saw something they never saw before. They saw Christ magnified in the body of someone they were now killing. So with Paul, <clears throat> there was <clears throat> this full development. And when he says, in my body, he doesn't say, in my soul, in my body. To me, this establishes the connection between the two realms. This is what's happening to my body. This is what I'm experiencing in the physical realm. But while this is happening, I'm in the divine and mystical realm because I'm in the mingled spirit, and therefore Christ is magnified, and you who put me to death will never forget it and I don't know what Paul said, especially if they heard him pray, Lord, forgive them, save them, don't hold this against them. Our brother Stephen prayed like this because that was Jesus living again. So we come now to outline four and we'll just go through it at a steady pace. My part will be done on or before 8.30. We don't need to prolong this particular message. Living in the divine and mystical realm by living in the mingled spirit. And the verse, the particular verse, that reveals living in the mingled spirit is Romans 8, 4. 8, 4. Paul says, the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us, not by us, in us who walk according to the spirit. 
So surely we know from Matthew 5 through 7 that the, the laws, the requirements in the kingdom of the heavens are the highest of all. These are the requirements of the kingdom. And Paul says these righteous requirements are fulfilled in us. That is, someone else is doing this. We do not do it by our own effort. Our responsibility is to walk according to the Spirit. And Spirit, in Romans 8.4, is the mingled Spirit. And the word walk is really kind of a symbol to refer to the totality of our living. So when we talk about the kind of walk we have, we mean the kind of living we have. And so Paul's concern is that we see what it is to be one spirit with the Lord and learn what it means to walk according to the mingled spirit, which is certainly going to include everything in our human life, in our family life, the way husbands and wives communicate and express their love and affection and their need for each other, the way we speak in the presence of our children, the way we speak to our children, now we're all texting and emailing. I wonder how many texts released by the Christians on the earth in this year were in the spirit. Billions of texts, many of them written impulsively. How many are living, are, are Expressed in the mingled spirit, have you ever had the experience of writing a text and then something stops you and then you press the delete arrow and you just go dot, 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 and you just realize I was in myself, I'm not going to send that. And has it ever happened even once when you didn't do that? And you send it, and uh, the response wasn't that pleasant. Well, this is part of our living now. So we're not going to be like the Amish in Ohio and Philadelphia and ride in a, a chariot and not have an iPhone unless it's hidden somewhere in a haystack. We're living in the present age and the Lord himself, when he lived on the earth, he always lived in his spirit. He knows how to do this. He's very good at this. He was always in his spirit. Now he is the person living in us 
He knows how to do this. If we turn to him, we open to him, we express our love for him, our faith in him, we receive his dispensing, then we learn little by little just to let him live. You're going to go to work tomorrow. You're going to go to school tomorrow. You'll be laboring at home tomorrow. We'll be flying back to Southern California tomorrow, getting ready on Wednesday to fly to the UK. So wherever we are, the Lord in this divine and mystical realm there's only one law. This may sound strange, but there's really only one law in actuality, and that is live in the mingled spirit. Walk according to the spirit. The laws aren't read the Bible so much, pray so much, preach the gospel so much, serve so much, give so much. If we do any of those things, apart from God, they're nothing. They are religious activities. Anything we do that's seemingly spiritual, that we do without the Lord, is not recognized by the Lord. That's not Jesus living again. That is religion. Okay, you're not worldly, you're not secular. You're being serious with God, but you're religious about it because you're not doing it one with the Lord. But when we're one with the Lord and are walking according to the mingled spirit, then the Lord is able to live and he prays what needs to be prayed and he sings and he speaks and he serves. He thinks, he feels. He's an all-inclusive person. So our part is to live in the mingled spirit. And I do hope, although you may be doing this sincerely, don't stand up after the message and go to the microphone and say, I consecrate myself to live in the mingled spirit. You... It's seemingly you are consecrating. Actually, you are making a promise that you cannot keep. From now on, I'll never be in the flesh. I'll never sin again. I'll never be in death. I'll never love the world. I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to be in the mingled spirit from now on, Lord. I promise. And the Lord is so dear. He says, okay, I know your heart. You have a good heart. Consecration is not promising to be something or do something. Consecration is presenting yourself to the Lord for him to do what he wants. So I would suggest you pray something like this. Lord, I present myself to you that you can train me to walk in the mingled spirit. I present myself as a disciple, as a learner. I like to learn this. I don't know anything about it. And then the Lord will be so pleased 
by his detailed arrangement of our life. I love this verse in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 14. It says, a man's steps are directed by Jehovah. How then can a man understand his own way? I'll tell you tonight, I don't understand my own life. How did I get here in Calgary to be with you, with my dear wife, Tanya? I don't want to say too much. I know she wants to be covered. She wants to be hidden. So I say, you are hidden in the light and covered by love. Just a number of times during the day, we just look at each other and hug each other and say the same word. Amazing. Amazing. How did this happen? And so <clears throat> I taught her <clears throat> a very useful English word. I said, dear, it's inexplicable. <laughs> inexplicable. That means something that cannot be explained. Don't feel bad if you don't, didn't know the word inexplicable. You'll probably never use it again. And so our steps are ordained. <clears throat> our lives are measured out. The sovereign God arranges so many things. Those are the steps he arranges. And I don't know what is happening. I don't want to know what is happening. I just want to learn to be one with the Lord at the present moment and to be one spirit in the present moment. Like, dear young person, don't let the enemy weigh you down to saying, oh no, I heard a message tonight. I have to be in the mingled spirit for the rest of my life. I'm only 19. I've got to live in the mingled spirit for the rest of my life. I'm not saying that. I'm suggesting you need to be in the mingled spirit now. Not 47 years from now. Now, moment by moment. And like I mentioned in a previous message, we're going to learn by doing, which is the best way to learn anything. That's why I like it. If I'm at a bank or am I'm at a supermarket, and the person waiting on me is a trainee. I'm just so happy for them. I like to tell them, just practice on me. Just learn by doing. That's the best way to learn. Don't worry about making any mistake. Just, just practice on me. I'm in no hurry. If you don't know what to do about this, you get your supervisor. It's so delightful to be with someone learning, and you just support them in their learning. So, we're learners. So as learners, let's go through this outline. One, God's economy is to work himself into his chosen and redeemed people in order to make himself one with them, 
and to make them one with him. God's eternal economy is to make man the same as he in life and nature, but not in the Godhead, and to make himself one with man and man one with him. Okay, that, that's enough of singing in a non-existent key. I'm pretty sure it doesn't exist. If you had perfect pitch, I sympathize with your suffering, okay? God wants to make himself one with you. Why don't you tell him personally that you like this, you agree with this, you welcome this? He wants to make himself one with you and make you one with him, thus to be enlarged and expanded in his expression, that his divine attributes may be expressed in your human virtues. Don't try to make this happen. God wants to do this. Christ wants to make his home in your heart. God wants to work himself in you. So in our part, let's just say amen. So when we wake up tomorrow, and when it comes to mind, we say, Lord, I give you today. I give today to you. Work yourself into me all day. Make yourself one with me a little more today. Make me a little more one with you today. Then forget about it. He's not going to forget. And you may have this sense that when you put your head on your pillow tonight, you can say, Lord, there is more of you in me right now than when I got up this morning. Day by day, little by little. You ask me how much, I have no idea. We're growing day by day. How much do you grow in a day? I don't know. I just know this is how life develops. So A says, in his economy, God even mingles himself with his people to be one entity with them. So just as Jesus, the God-man, is both God and man mingled together, we will be the same in principle. We're not a third thing, neither God nor human. We will just be a divine human being, one with God in the way of mingling this is what happened to Paul. So he could say, I give you my opinion. And that opinion was God's thought because the mingling had reached Paul's mind. And the mind of Christ through the Spirit is being mingled with his mind. That's why some of you have heard, maybe indirectly, of this real-life illustration. This happened maybe 22 years ago in a brief fellowship with a fourth-term sister who was an excellent trainee pursuing the Lord, 
She had the definite leading of the Lord to go to medical school. And she had been accepted by an excellent school in New York City and an excellent school in Southern California. And it was a Saturday. And on Monday, she must give the final answer to both schools. And once she answers, they cannot be changed. Southern California, New York City. So definitely, she wants to know the Lord's will. She doesn't want to make a mistake. So she's praying, and God is quiet. He's not saying anything. He's not giving her a clue. And she's fellowshipping wisely, not collecting opinions. So she came for fellowship, wanting somehow to know between now and Saturday, Monday, what does God want me to do? So this is what I told her, and I have no regrets. I'm fully at peace to recount this. So I told her this. I said, you and the Lord are one. He is living in you. He is one with you. You are one with him. I believe, I believe in this case, he simply wants you to make the decision. He trusts you. He'll be one with you. You just decide. Sister, I don't think you're going to hear anything from God. He's not going to cause your angel to materialize very early Monday morning and appear to you in your room and say, I have been sent from God with a message. Go to the medical school in such and such a place. It's not going to be a dream. There won't be a sign. There won't be a miracle. There won't be a word. You can open the Bible and put your finger on a verse, and you're not going to put your finger on a verse that's going to help you. You may end up in the genealogy in First Chronicles, so it doesn't give you any help. So this is what she did. And I do believe sincerely when I said that to her, I was one with the Lord, and my fellowship to her was the Lord's counsel to her. And I never told her this, but as soon as she left, I just had a very brief interchange with the Lord. I said, Lord, she's going to New York City. And that's where she went. It just worked out wonderfully. And then a brother that was serving in the Northwest, he moved to New York to go to graduate school at Columbia, and they met, and they got married, and she finished medical school and her residency. Then she became a mom, and she just had a certain feeling of how to be a pneumatic mom in her situation. So sometimes it's like this. In Acts 16... Paul is on the move. 
So he starts going in this direction. And the Holy Spirit says, stop, no. So Paul says, okay. I guess we're supposed to go in this direction. And the Spirit of Jesus said, no. So we shouldn't be afraid to move. So to give you a kind of human illustration, uh, somewhat for, just for the fun of it, okay? A little fun is okay. D don't worry. It's not going to be anything uh, frivolous. I possess a particular ability. And actually, I possess a certain gift. It's almost miraculous, the gift. It is the gift of disorientation. <laughs> I have the ability to get lost anywhere at any time, effortlessly. Effortlessly. If I walk out of the room where we're eating, I don't know where to go next. I don't know where I'll end up. So in driving, this is a situation. I just get lost. So now I've come to realize if I'm going to travel somewhere, say from Anaheim, 40 miles away to somewhere else in Orange County or L.A. County, I build in disorientation time. So one time, the brothers gave me directions. Go west on 91, then you get 710. So I'm going west on 91, I'm not lost yet. Then there's 710. And I turn under 710, and I'm going along, and then I see the sign, welcome me to Los Angeles. And I realize I'm going in the opposite direction, but I didn't condemn myself. Immediately that became the leading, and I wasn't late because I allowed in, in my schedule, disorientation time. Now, what someone might be inclined to do in their life with the Lord, because they're living in right and wrong, they don't want to make a mistake, they won't move until they think they have a leading. So suppose I'm like this in driving. I get in my car in the driveway. And because I'm afraid of making a mistake, I make a much bigger mistake. I sit there passively, passively and do nothing. I'm not saying we recklessly move. But my brothers and sisters, it's much easier for the Lord to direct us if we're in motion. Don't be afraid to take a step. Luke is recording this. I don't know how if Paul knew about this. Luke said, I'm going to write this down. This is going to be in the Bible. That Paul was one with the Lord, and the, the, the Spirit in him right away redirected him. The Spirit of Jesus redirected him. There's no sign that he's beating his breast saying, what kind of an apostle I am. 
I don't even, don't even know the leading of the Spirit. I go this way, it's wrong. I go that way, it's wrong. And now Luke is going to record this. And millions of people are going to know that I live this way. Actually, it's very positive. That was behind my sharing with this sister. You are one with the Lord, sister. He knows this. He knows your heart. He knows you want his will. And so, just decide and begin to move in that direction. And the inner sense of life will confirm this. And that's what happened. And so, this is a crucial matter that we're mingled together with the Lord. And we shouldn't live as if we're not mingled, like the Lord is way over there and I'm here and I need a message. Actually, much of the time, we come to God like a big computer and we want information from him. We enter data. Then if we just get a printout, right? Just get a printout. This is what I want you to do. We say, thank you, Lord. I'll come back when I need more information from you. Well, at certain times, in his mercy to us, he'll let us know. But what he wants to give us is himself. And by giving us himself, he knows we need direction. He knows this. But he also knows that we have a greater need, which is to let him live in us and to make himself one with us. Now, I'm all the way at point B in number one now, so we're just racing through the outline. Concerning this oneness and mingling, 1 Corinthians 6.17 says that he who is joined to the Lord that we who are joined to the Lord are one spirit. The divine spirit and the human spirit have been mingled together to be one spirit. Two says the implications of 1 Corinthians 6.17 are marvelous and far-reaching. A, to be one spirit with the Lord implies that we are in him and that he is in us. So this trainee sister, she was one spirit with the Lord. She was in him. He was in her. Then her decision, in this case, will be the Lord's decision. B says, we and he have been mingled, blended, organically to become one in life. This verse reveals that we and Christ are one wonderful living entity. So we are one. Yet we're still distinct. We have our identity. The Lord is his identity. But we're one. Now point D is enlightening. We, the complete and entire person, our entire being, and the Lord are one spirit. So the Lord will train us 
to exercise to be one with him. This is actually the foundation of our God-man living. So we need to exercise our spirit of faith and express our love for the Lord and not be passive and then exercise at the beginning of a new day to be one with him. He is, on his side, making himself one with us. He is even making us one with him. But on our side, we need to express our agreement. And one particular requirement, and for many of us, it goes contrary to our disposition. This doesn't happen when we are passive. Whenever we are passive, we're in the flesh. We're in the self when we're passive. One of the most wonderful aspects in the Lord's recovery concerning the practical Christian life is the exercise of the Spirit. And this still remains one of the greatest needs in our Christian life and our church life, to exercise the spirit. And I illustrate by using physical exercise. And I'm very thankful that I have a personal trainer. I'm married to her. And I know I need exercise. I'm committed to exercise, especially walking and other things, but I'm rarely, I rarely feel like it. I'm rarely in the mood to do it. And sometimes I kind of misuse Brother Rick's, Dr. Rick Scatterday's fellowship with me. He said, if you're really, really tired, exercise doesn't help. So I can say, I'm just too tired. I don't feel like it. But she sees through me. You got enough rest. You need to exercise. So I would say 80 or 90% of the time, when I engage in physical exercise, I'm going against part of my being that wants to sit here or lie here. But sitting here and lying here is dangerous. Dangerous to my health. I need to move. Well, what is true of physical exercise illustrates the need to exercise our spirit. And one of the most discouraging things, I'm speaking in principle, in a church meeting, is to see the saints sitting there passively. Passively. This is the way we sat in denominations. We came and sat down and waited for the pastor to come or wait for the choir to sing something. Then we had the program. We knew what to do. 
that is altogether alien to the church life as the expression of the body life. The church life depends on the exercise of the Spirit. And the meetings, especially the Lord's table meeting and the prayer meeting, will be a reflection of the extent to which we are exercising our spirit in our daily life. I remember, this is way back in 1971, I'm meeting with two other brothers before the meeting. We bore some responsibility, so we come early to pray for the meeting. And I remember one time, while I'm praying, I'm telling the Lord, I feel so strange. I didn't do this all day. And now I'm with the brothers and we're fulfilling our duty to pray about the meeting. And the Lord wasn't like judging me, but he was enlightening me. If you want the prayer with the brothers to be real, you need to exercise during the day. You shouldn't feel I'm doing something strange now. I haven't been in the spirit all week. Now I come to a meeting. I'm trying to get revved up. Especially in the Western Hemisphere. I give credit and honor to Taiwan especially. You go there, you will meet the exercise of the spirit everywhere. The first time I went was 50 years ago. And what impressed us was the strong human spirit of the saints through exercise. If we don't do this, we can't walk. We can't live in the spirit. And no one can do this for you. We can encourage you, just like I'm encouraged, but I have to make a decision. Okay, okay. It's cooled down now. It's late in the evening. The temperature is right for us to walk. I'm sitting here. Okay, I'm going to get my walking shoes. I'm putting them on. I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to walk. And when I'm walking, I feel so good. But no one can do this for you. Just as I can't breathe for you, eat your food for you, love the Lord for you, and this will involve going against our dispositions. Some of us are passive dispositionally. Or at least we have to go against our mood. Okay, we don't feel like it. Denying the self is exercising the spirit when you don't feel like it. That's my soul life. Wanting a nice, cozy, easy period of time. But the Lord in me wants to live through my exercise spirit. And the primary exercise is to affirm our being one. And he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So point three expresses one of the greatest lights the Lord has given to his recovery through the ministry of the age. 
to be proper Christians, we must know that the Lord Jesus today, as the embodiment of the triune God, is the Spirit indwelling our spirit and mingled with our spirit as one spirit. Now we, probably all of us, are clear about the doctrine, about the teaching. And we don't have an issue with this. But the knowing here is personal. I remember a brother testifying. He and his wife were new in the Lord's recovery. And he himself had just learned about spirit, soul, and body, something so basic. And that he had a spirit. And one day, his wife was quite troubled. Not, not angry, just, just troubled and concerned about something. And he, the husband, a young, inexperienced husband, wanted to help. And like all of us, we don't know what to say to the female. When there's this mysterious mood, we just don't understand it. And whatever we do, at the, at the most, doesn't help. At the worst, makes it worse. <laughs> so this brother tried something. He said, turn to your spirit. Now, if some of us say this to our wives, we'll get a response. You turn to your spirit. <laughs> but the brother was sincere, and this is what happened. She began to cry, and she said, I never knew I had a spirit. Our precious young people, junior high, high school, college age. They've been taught as church kids all of this. They need to know that they have a spirit. They need to know this personally and realize it personally. But the main point here is that we need to know that the Lord Jesus, as the embodiment of the triune God, is the Spirit indwelling us. This message, John, this mass, ma matches John 14, 20, in that day you will know. We may believe this, but we don't know it. If I asked the, the brother here, are you married? And his wife is nearby, and he answers, I think so. <laughs> I believe I'm married. I believe there will be an animated exchange of words when they get home. What do you mean you think? What do you mean you believe? This is something you know. And I hope this is the experience of Newly married couples, either on their honeymoon or when they get back from the honeymoon, the young brother wakes up, and then it dawns on him, 
I'm married. I'm married. My life has changed. Well, there are certain things we need to know. And let's give the sisters now some honor and credit. When they don't know something, they're not afraid to ask. They're not afraid to admit, I don't know this. So they will ask. And the first thing they do is pray. But with we men, brothers, it's the opposite. Asking is so humbling. It's admitting we don't know something or don't understand something. And the last thing we do is pray. So the Lord needs to cause us to doubt ourselves a little. Lord, do I know this? Is this real to me? Or is this just a teaching that I accept because I'm in the Lord's recovery? I want to know this. I want this to be real to me. And when I shepherd a young person, I want to convey reality to them. And I want to help them to touch their mingled spirit for themselves. And to see what happens in a young person when they discover the life-giving spirit is one with my spirit. He's with me all the time. Just as we sang, I enjoyed that stanza, thy sweet anointing with thy might in weakness doth sustain. He maintains our energy. So whether we're physically weak, I treasure this in our dear brother Ed. I know the struggle he goes through before he stands up to speak. But the anointing spirit strengthens him in his weakness. The weakness remains, but the strengthening also remains because it's a reality. And that's just in my heart now to release prayers. Cause the young people all over the earth to know they have a spirit. To know the Lord is with their spirit. To know the triune God as the spirit is dwelling in their spirit all the time. And he wants to supply them all the time. He himself was once a kid. Yes, he was in a different culture, but he knew what it was like to be 12. He knew what it was like to not be popular. He knew what it was like to work with his hands as a carpenter. He knows what it's like to be a human. And he knows how to be in the spirit at whatever age we are. And we need to pray for this because just having the doctrine doesn't issue in real life experience. So Job had a breakthrough himself. Finally, he had a breakthrough. After the Lord revealed himself to him and spoke to him, then Job repented. This righteous person repented. He said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. 
Now my eye sees you. Therefore I abhor myself and repent. It's really a blessing to be a church kid. But their situation is they've heard, they've heard, they've heard. By the hearing of the ear, they've heard. That's not bad. That's not wrong. That's not a mistake. But they have to see what they heard. They have to see for themselves. They can't go on with a borrowed vision of a secondhand experience. We need to pray for them. Paul in prison prayed for us that we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. The Father is waiting for this prayer. He will answer this prayer. We should name them one by one, not publicly. One by one before the Lord. This dear one, do this in her. And Lord, we want to set a time frame. Do it between now and the end of the year. We ask you to do it. And then do it in everyone. Then let's see what happens. If you've got 15 high schoolers, they all know that the life-giving spirit is mingled with their spirit. And the Lord wants to do everything for them in their human situation, at high school, whatever it is. And they know this. It's real to them. So now we have the last section, which we'll cover in seven or eight minutes. And then the two well, the last major section, then two concluding points. Ultimately, the Bible requires only one thing of us, that we walk according to the mingled spirit. Yes, there's so many commandments. Love your wife, be in subjection, do God's will, let the word of Christ dwell in you, let the peace of Christ rule in you. Yes, but they all happen when we walk according to the mingled spirit. So that is the ultimate requirement because it includes everything else. The key to everything is found in the wonderful spirit who is in our regenerated spirit and who has become one spirit with our spirit. To live in the spirit is to let Christ fill and saturate us until he permeates our whole being and is thereby expressed through us. So this requires something so simple that we open our being to him. So I have a basic exercise for decades now to begin each day. The first thing is to turn my heart the Lord. You try to exercise your spirit when your heart is not turned, it won't work. Lord, I turn my heart to you. If you need a backup prayer, Lord, cause my heart to turn to you. Then I say, Lord, I now open my being to you. I live this day as an open vessel before you. Work yourself into me. Dispense yourself into me today. August 19th, do this today. Gain ground in me today. Then we are filled and we express him. C, being 
close to the Lord or walking in his presence is not the same thing as being one spirit with him. So sorry to say that book, Practicing the Presence of God, is not as helpful as it seems because it's an Old Testament concept. Lord, I want to be in your presence. You are around me. You are with me. And yes, he is with us. But we may be content with that. I just want to feel your presence with me. But the Lord may withdraw that <clears throat> sense or feeling temporarily because he wants you to know him as the one with your spirit. This was Paul's final word to his spiritual son, Timothy. The Lord is with your spirit, Timothy. I'm going. I'll be martyred. I finished my course. The Lord himself, the person, is with your spirit. The person, the lovely person of the Lord is with your spirit. Grace be with you. The enjoyment of this person be with you. So yes, we enjoy the Lord's presence. He is with us. But that is not the same as being one spirit with him. The mutual abiding in John 15, 4 and 5 is the practice of being one spirit with the Lord. The true vine is Christ as the spirit. We, the branches, have been grafted to the vine by being mingled with the spirit to be one spirit. Whenever we are in the mingled spirit, we're abiding in the vine and all the riches in the vine and all the riches of the experiences of the branches that have flown into the vine are now available to us, little by little, as we need them. We just abide in the vine. Brother Nee point out, pointed out concerning the ministry of life. He said, when someone touches the divine life in a new way, he doesn't have to say anything about it. It immediately flows into the body. That's what happened for 20 years. He was touching life through suffering death. And the life flowed through him as a branch into the vine. Which explains why so many of us in the West wanted to read his books we're enlightened, wanted to take this way. It will take the coming age for the Lord to manifest. Even to Brother Nee, he had no idea what was happening. But surely he prayed for Brother Lee. He told his roommate or cellmate that he brought to the Lord, when you are released, look for a man named Witness Lee. When you see him, you see me. And so, simply by being one with the Lord, by exercising to be one spirit with him, puts us in a position where the life supply in the vine flows all the time. Even if you're going through something, 
so painful, physically or psychologically, so painful that you just can't sense the spirit. It's just not humanly possible right then. But the fact is you're still being supplied at the deepest level. And I learned this the hard way by experience. As soon as death strikes, resurrection life begins to operate. Right in the midst of it. But eventually it will surface and conquer the death and swallow up the death. So when someone is going through a great loss, our words can't do anything. But if our presence and our being can help them be one with the Lord, to be one with the Lord in this situation, the vine will supply you. E, when we live in the Spirit, we spontaneously bear the cross. Because the cross, its effectiveness is in the spirit. It will happen spontaneously. If you're not in the spirit and try to bear the cross, now you are really super religious. And by the power of the self, you're applying the cross to the self, so you're building up the self by trying to kill it. And you'll be miserable, and the self will be bigger. Forget it. Be one spirit with the Lord the effectiveness of Christ's death is in the Spirit, and the cross will be applied. F, all the things that happen to us test whether we are living in the Spirit or in the self. So remember my illustration of being car number nine in the left turn lane, waiting for the red arrow to turn green? The reflexes, sorry to say, are insufficient, so I don't make it. So this becomes a little quizzy, a little test. Ron, oh, you had such a happy time, the morning revival or whatever it is. Now you're at the Red Arrow. How you doing, Ron? <laughs> well, I'm grumbling, I'm unhappy, that cost me three minutes, so I flunked another test. Sooner or later, I'm going to pass this one, but the Lord will say, you pass this one, but you have to pass more than one test until I'm sure you got through on this one. So how about if we just repeat this 40 or 50 more times, and then it becomes part of your living you realize, okay, this is sovereign of the Lord. The Lord arranges little circumstance. Romans 8.28 applies to red arrows and slow reflexes. And so now I'm here for three minutes. Lord, I want to be one with you. That he may give you the names of a few cents to pray. And their lives are enriched because you prayed at a red arrow for two minutes. G. The best way to silence Satan is to be in the spirit. There is only one place that Satan cannot invade, our spirit. Whether or not we are under Satan's authority is not determined by things we do, 
Rather, it is determined by whether or not we are in the spirit or in the flesh. So if we're not in the spirit, we're practically speaking under Satan's influence. But when we're in the spirit, he can't reach us. The, the proverb says, the name of the Lord is like a high tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. So when we are in the spirit, we're in the high tower of the Lord's name. The enemy can't touch us. I'm not going to say we're going to mock him. We're not going to say, nyeh, 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 nyeh. You can't get me. No, no. We better not play around. We can just say, enemy, I'm not coming out. Your strategy is try to draw me out. I'm staying right here. And I'm actually, I'm not here alone. I'm here with the body of Christ. In the place where you cannot reach. Three, as long as we remain in the mingled spirit, we will be kept and Satan will have no way with us. That's the safest place. Five, the highest gospel is that we would be saved to the extent that God in us, we and God, are completely mingled as one, having one life and one living. Then I quote Brother Lee uh, from a, a life study of 1 Corinthians. If you get into the depths of these verses, 1 Corinthians 6, 17 through 20, your life, ministry, and service in the church will be affected in a revolutionary way. Your inner being and your entire church life will be radically changed. May we all pray about these verses until such a change takes place within us. So this is my concluding word. Living in the divine and mystical realm by living in the mingled spirit Let's all learn together to learn to live in the mingled spirit. Let us help one another to learn to walk according to the mingled spirit. Let us support one another in exercising our spirit to be one with the Lord. And we will live in a realm we've never spent much time in before. And I assure you, your Christian life and your church life will enter a wonderful stage. You'll be like you're in another universe. You're in another realm. You're in the divine and mystical realm of the all-inclusive spirit. Everything is yours for God's purpose. Let's learn to live here, and let's live here forever and ever. Amen.